HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Consider Bardwell Farm, the first cheese-making co-op in Vermont. For more information, visit www.considerbardwellfarm.com. You are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Thursday, one o'clock, and once again, you have tuned into the Heritage Radio Network. You're listening to the Farm Report, and I'm your host, Aaron Fairbanks. We are coming to you live from the back of Roberta's Pizza in beautiful Bushwick, Brooklyn. And today we are on the line with Mary Peabody up in Vermont. Mary, welcome to the show. Hi, Aaron. Glad to be here. Well, it's great to have you. So, you um, uh, run the Women in Agriculture Network up there. It's a, it's a program through the University of Vermont's Extension Office and the U.S. Ag Department. And today we're going to spend the next half hour or so talking about wom- women in the world of agriculture. But I thought we would we would kick off the show by you know giving you a chance to share a little bit about the the vision of your organization and, and really what your mandate is, what you're trying to do for women in the world of ag. Okay, great. Well, so we really have a couple of of, uh, primary program focus areas, and one is, um, of course, to help women start and expand uh, profitable agricultural businesses so so that they can uh, have a sustainable lifestyle and um, engage in their passion, Uh, but keep in mind that this is a business that they're running. And sort of our second um, is to sort of what we call sort of raise the, 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 the profile of women in agriculture and do a little bit of leadership development, help get them um, established, get them on boards and commissions and in the legislature in places where they can actually be advocates for agriculture and for the needs that women have in agriculture. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I was, I was doing a little bit of research before the show on on, you know, women in ag, and I was surprised, you know, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation say that, you know, globally about, in the developing world, about half of all farmers are women, and, you know, we're not quite at those numbers here in the U.S., but if taking a look at the 20, you know, the 2007 
uh, egg census, it does look like there's been a huge shift in, in the last couple of years, in the last decade or so, in, in an increase in women farmers. And I'm curious, have you guys seen that through your programming? You've been around since 1995, so you've got a couple of decades under your belt. Have you noticed a, a shift or an increase in women in the world of ag? We're, well, we're seeing two things. We're seeing, we're definitely seeing an increase in the number of women that are pursuing agriculture as a career objective. Um, and the other thing that is happening is that women are now stepping up and being counted, which is something that, uh, you know, prior to two censuses ago really wasn't happening. Well, and, and why do you think that is? I mean, they, I, I mean, I can I can guess a lot of reasons, but I, I guess I'm curious. Um, you know, what what prompted that change? Uh, well, well, for a long time, the census really was was just sort of not acknowledging women as farm partners. Um, and in fact, up until this last census, uh, you could only include the name of one operating partner per farm. So, of course, it was whoever was filling out the form and whoever had most of the information. And in most of the cases, that was the male partner. Um, so women were sort of kind of off the radar in terms of getting counted. And the services you're providing, are they predominantly in the, I, I mean, is it specific to Vermont or do you serve a broader population in the Northeast or what's the range that um, if people are looking to take part in the stuff that you guys offer that you kind of limit it to? Yeah, we've got, actually we have um, we have national and we have some international members as well. And, you know, we welcome anybody who wants to sign up and get on our mailing list and, and you know, get receive our newsletter. We do a lot of our education now online, so geography is not so much of a barrier. Uh, and periodically we will have conferences which, you know, sort of draw in some of our Canadian partners and some of the women in South and Central America and even the Caribbean. So one of the other things I found interesting in the census data is that it seems like farms that are operated by women um, have kind of some different trends than you see in in male-operated farms. It looks like they tend to be slightly smaller in size. There's a focus on, um, you know, smaller animals and uh, vegetable production. And I'm curious if that's something that you have have seen true through your experience as well. Yeah, very much so. Um, they they do tend to be quite a bit smaller, not just um, in acreage, but also uh, economically smaller. And they, you know, and and one of the things that happens is is that uh, for a traditional sort of say dairy operation or commodity farm, you're talking about a pretty substantial startup investment, which a lot of women just don't have the means to accomplish. So a lot of women are sort of starting very small in their backyards or in their neighbor's fields and sort of growing their businesses uh, sort of quote unquote organically. And if you're looking at, you know, service provision or support for women specifically, uh, I mean, I'm curious when you develop your programming or, or the tools that that you make available. Do you, uh, you know, how do how do those decisions get made as far as deciding kind of what types of egg to support or what size farm or, you know, where is that kind of drive coming from? Is it an interest of people coming to you looking for spe- specific stuff, or is it you know the extension office looking to promote a particular you know type of growth in a in a particular segment of egg? Mm-hmm. 
Um, it's all farmer-driven. It's The participant decides everything from the kind of production strategy they want to the scope and scale of the operation that they want. Um, we don't uh, we don't teach a lot of production. Um, we teach more on the business management side of things. So what tends to happen is is that what we focus on is sort of values, goals, the economics of the operation, the feasibility, uh, the marketing channels that are available. And we let the women decide themselves, you know, sort of how big is this business going to be? What we're most concerned about is that they are making informed decisions and that they're setting up a business that's going to match the kind of goals that they have and the, and the kind of outcomes that they're hoping to achieve. Well, what do you, would you say are some of the most common you know, misconceptions about women in the egg world that you're working against? Well, I mean, I think a lot of times, um, you know, and again, we've had, we've been doing this for a few decades, so we've certainly seen a change in the culture. But when we first started out, it was fairly common for lenders, particularly, not to take women seriously and to think that, you know, in fact, and I, I did in the early years have lenders say to me, um, oh, this is, this is just something that they're doing, um, you know, to get their their husband's business some extra funding or something, because there were some monies that were set aside for women business owners. Um, so I think you know certainly the the um, fabric of agriculture and the infrastructure of agriculture has had to learn how to take women seriously as business owners. And why you know why why now? Like what what do you think is driving that that shift? I mean, other than organizations like yours, which are obviously having an impact. Well, I, I mean, I think there's three things that are happening. One is that um, women, um, as are, are all farmers, are getting older, and are you know, as our society ages, what happens is is that men tend to to die first and leave women in charge of some agricultural land. So they become the landowners by default, and they become the decision makers on what's going to happen to that land. Um, the second big change that you've had is an outgrowth of the women's movement of the '60s, and also. Um, women being in the workforce. And so women are now, for the first time, there's a generation of women who have spent their entire life in a workforce who are, you know, electing to take an, an early retirement or something, who have disposable income of their own that, to invest now in a business. Um, and then the third thing that happens is that more and more young women are actually getting degrees in agriculture. So I want to move on to talk a little bit, um, you know, you touched on some of the, the type of services you offer, but maybe you can just kind of run us through the lineup. You know, if someone's coming to your organization looking for some help and guidance, what are the types of, you know, classes or workshops that, that you offer? Okay, so we sort of, we view the whole farm development as a continuum. So we're happy to start with women wherever they are, but we love it when we get to work with them before they make any decisions at all. And the first thing we have is a class that we call Growing Places, which is um, sort of our flagship class because it was the first one that we launched. And it really takes people through the process of deciding, you know, do I want to be self-employed, first of all? And second of all, if I do want to be self-employed, is it going to be in agriculture? Which has some interesting and unique challenges, as I'm sure you know. So we, uh, you know, so we have that class. Then we we basically go through business planning, 
we uh, we will go through sort of how to get financing, how to find land, and how to find um, financing for your farm. And then we um, stick with them. You know, um, in the in the later years, you have issues of you know when you hire your first employee, there's some more considerations. Um, sometimes you need to change course, sort of in the in mid. Uh, mid-business development, you know, you've been in it five, six, seven years, and you're realizing that things aren't working out quite the way you planned, and so you need to do some tweaking. So we offer some classes for those folks that are kind of in the, you know, should I diversify or should I focus or should I get bigger or should I get smaller or should I take on a new market or what should I do? Um, and then as as women are, you know, sort of starting to age into their businesses, we're also doing a lot now with um, how to leave the farm and how to leave your business. Wow, so you're kind of like full full service. Um, what do you think? Uh, you know, for women who are coming in who are who are new to farming, uh, who are young women, like what are you know what are the things you wish they would were, would know or consider be, before they come to you? I mean, do you find that that by the time people kind of identify you as a resource that they have, you know, fairly you know, uh, diverse kind of set of resources and they've been able to kind of think through things and are kind of making some reality-based decisions or I guess I'm just wondering like when pe- once people get to you, do what, what is the uptake? I mean, do they often go on into farming or is there, does the process kind of smack a little bit too intensely into the reality of the challenge <laughs> of, of making a living like that in a way that people are like, oh shit, yeah. you know, this actually isn't for me. Well, I, I some days I think that my my job is really about letting the air out of people's balloons. Um, but we try to do that in sort of a gentle, sort of reality-based way. And um, you know what we've learned based on you know the years that we've been in this is is that of all the people that come to us and start with our educational programs, about forty percent actually go on and start a business, and about sixty percent. Um, at some point in time decide, you know what, this isn't really going to be a career option for me. And and that's a really, we celebrate that. We celebrate both of those decisions because agriculture takes a lot out of you. It requires a lot of time. It's a 24-7 commitment. Um, and if it's not something that you have a true passion for, it's not something that you should be doing because it will drain um, the energy out of you very quickly. So, um, you know, so we, we celebrate both decisions the um well i that's it that's all i'll say about it <laughs> what do what do you, i mean what do you think are some of the kind of biggest aha moments for for you know people who come to you where where they kind of in, go through a class or a workshop and they're like oh man i never kind of uh-huh. realized that this was part of my you know dream that i had when i was sipping coffee in brooklyn to come run a farm <laughs> yeah uh well, there's there's a lot of those aha moments, and um, they range from um, oh, I thought you know customers would be chomping at the bit to get my product. I didn't think that I would have to work so hard. To I didn't realize there would be so much competition out there. I thought this was a really unique idea. To um, oh, I thought there would be more profit in this. I didn't realize that I was going to work so many hours for um, such a small return. Um, so there's there's a lot of aha moments, and you know I think some of them are um, pretty common in any business. You know, is when people are considering starting any business, there's some times where you have to sort of confront reality and say, "Hmm, I didn't think it was going to be quite like that." 
Um, I think, you know, again, getting on the land is a big hurdle for, for some women, so I think that's sometimes a, a, sort of a, a tough reality check for them. Yeah, yeah, I, that's definitely something I think new farmers across the board run into as challenges with land access. Well, Mary, we are going to take a short break, and when we come back, I, I'm hoping we can talk a little bit about how the operation is, is funded and plans for the future and maybe share a couple of success stories of, of people who have come through your programming. Sure. You're listening to Never in Love by the Four Lincolns on the Heritage Radio Network.org. We'd like to send a special thank you to our latest business member, Consider Bardwell. 300-acre Consider Bardwell Farm was the first cheesemaking co-op in Vermont, founded in 1864 by Consider Stebbins Bardwell himself. A century later, Angela Miller, Russell Glover, and Chris Gray are revitalizing the tradition. Their cheeses are made by hand in small batches from whole, fresh milk that is antibiotic and hormone-free. Only microbial rennet is used in their cheesemaking. All cheeses are aged on the farm in their extensive system of caves. For more information or to purchase cheese, visit ConsiderBardwellFarm.com. To learn more about becoming a business member, email us, info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Every Tuesday at 12 p.m., you can call food scientist Dave Arnold and ask any question you want. John from Chicago, you're on the air. Hey, hey, Dave. Looking at sales. Who am I fooling? This is horrible stuff. Without glutamic acid, you die. It is a matter of taste, but there's a lot more fat in sausage than you think. Get ahead of the curve. Tune into Cooking Issues every Tuesday at 12 p.m. on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. All right, we are back. You have tuned into the Farm Report on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Erin Fairbanks, and we are on the line with Mary Peabody talking women and in eggs. So your program is run um, through the University of Vermont's Extension Program and then through through the U.S. Department of Ag. And I'm curious... um, was there a, 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 you know, how did that start the idea of like, we want to develop tools for women specifically and who was kind of pushing that agenda and getting some of that seed funding started for the organization? So, yeah, so it's, it's starting to be kind of ancient history now, but, um, you know, back in um, 1994, I guess, or 93, I was um, an extension agent working in agriculture and was observing that a lot of uh, women were coming to workshops, but that they weren't speaking a lot until the coffee break. And then as soon as there was a break, I would get mobbed and they would ask the most interesting questions and they would share the most interesting ideas. Um, and but they never really spoke up in the meetings, so it occurred to me that maybe we should have some meetings for just the women, so that they could just speak with one another. So basically, out of that um, 
we had uh, the opportunity to get a planning grant through uh, USDA, and that planning grant allowed us to spend six months actually collecting information about um, you know, basically, what what would a successful program for women in agriculture look like? And that was the program we ended up implementing. Wow, that's great. And so then how has that trend, you know, how has that, that changed over the years? I mean, where is your funding coming from now and, and how secure is it? You know, well, well as with all, um, you know, funded programs, it's, um, you know, our funding is shaky from year to year. Um, the good news is, is that we have a great track record, and I think that because of that support, uh, the University of Vermont Extension has made an investment in us and has been a real strong partner, um, and that has helped us, you know, sort of bridge any funding gaps. You know, we certainly are still always fundraising, writing grants, looking for more support, um, seeking out foundation support. Uh, you know, and asking for for membership uh, donations as well. So, you know, there's a variety of different ways that we approach it. And can you tell me a little bit about your membership program? Well, um, yeah, it's it's a fairly loosely defined membership program. Basically, anybody can self-select to be a member. Uh, we don't actually charge for it, although we do charge for most of our uh, our workshops and and classes that we offer. So, uh, you know, anybody can sign up and go to the website. They can click on the link, fill out a form, and become a member and get our newsletter with no cost and, and no opportunity. Above that, then we begin to have, you know, some sort of charges for events and, and classes and such. So they can find you at www.uvm.edu backslash WAGN. Lots of great information kind of on the site and, and upcoming schedule there. How big is the organization now? What does the staff look like? Well, there's uh, there's three of us that work, uh, as that staff it, and we're, um, none of us are full-time on this program. We also divide our time amongst, uh, across other programs. But uh, So there's three of us that are around to answer the phone and do things, and then we pull in other folks on an as-needed basis, and... We, um, over the course of the year, we probably work with 10 to 15 different farmers as well to help us, you know, as co-instructors, as mentors, um, because we think it's really important that women farmers have an opportunity to role model for other women farmers what it is that they do. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, you know, the Women's Agriculture Network, I think similarly to the Heritage Radio Network, is a lot about kind of building relationships and forging connections and creating, you know, opportunities, I think, for interesting, you know, information and experience exchange. And I'm curious if if you could point us to, are there other kind of uh, organizations that deal specifically with women in ag that are um, in other parts of the country or at a national base that you would consider uh, sister or partner organizations or other people that we should look to if, if folks who aren't in the Northeast want to start engaging in something more uh, in their area or, or just kind of continue down this track of learning about issues specific to women in the world of agriculture? Sure. Um, most of the Northeast states have now some sort of a women's ag network or are affiliated with us. So, uh, so that's been really nice. There's a very strong women's ag network in Pennsylvania that's been around now for a number of years. There's one in Connecticut. Massachusetts has, has had one. Uh, Maine has had one. Um, there's also our um, sister project, a women women 
Food and Ag Network, which is out of Iowa, which is another uh, great program that we've had lots of partnerships with over the years. And then there's a few um, out on the West Coast that are getting started and and, um, are in various stages of development. So I think anybody that's interested, you know, if you Google women in agriculture, you're going to get several good hits pretty easily. Yeah, and some surprises. I mean, I know I just kind of looking at um, where there seems to be a concentration of women farmers, I was surprised to see Arizona at the top of the list, not a state I, I that jumps to the forefront of my mind when I think about ag in general. So I think it's been really interesting to talk a little bit into this topic. And I'm hoping maybe, uh, you know, we have a little bit of time left. I would love if you could share maybe a story or two about some successes that, uh, you know, folks who have come through your program who have, who have gotten the opportunity to either start their farm or, or diversify their farm and, and look to you as a resource and maybe give us some, some examples to, to think about and celebrate. Uh, sure. I mean, it's always hard to, you know, to, to come up with these sort of on the spot because we've had a number of, of success stories. But I, I will say just a couple of things. One is is that it tends to take about 12 to 18 months for um, even after people start sort of taking classes for them to really sort of get um, all the resources collected and really launch their business. So one of the great things for us, and this happened just today, one of my work colleagues came in and said, check out this email, and it was a woman that took a class with us about two years ago now, and she's just finished her business plan, she's just found the funding, and she's just found a piece of land, and she's going to be starting off this spring, finally implementing this plan that she's been working on now for better than two years. So that always makes us feel really happy. Um, another thing that we see around which uh, speaks more to the leadership development side of things is that, you know, it makes us really happy when we look down the list of associations um, in the state and in the region and we see women that have worked with us as presidents and vice presidents and treasurers of, you know, of these very powerful policy organizations that are really sort of setting the tone for what sustainable agriculture is going to look like in this country. What do you think are, you know, what do you think women bring to the table? I mean, I, I know that's, that's, that's kind of a big question, but uh, I'm curious if, if you've identified, you know, something in specific, you know, we, we often have these conversations about the importance of diversity and having people with a multitude of perspectives. And I'm just wondering if, if there's something that jumps out to you um, or if there's kind of a change you've seen um, having spent time and, and seen women come into the world of egg that, that things are heading in a direction that's maybe been shaped by their presence. Well, um, you know, yeah, I, I completely agree. A lot of the women that we work with that are sort of the, the mid-career change uh, folks come to us from a background in either education or health care. So they're already coming from a place um, where their career was all about nurturing and change and um, trying to be positive community uh, influences. So so that's something women certainly do bring. And, you know, the other thing is, is that women... Um, know up close and personally what it's like to have to uh, cook food, have to find time to cook when you're really busy, how to raise children, um, how much influence there is, um, uh, you know, around nutrition habits and how important it is to get uh, kids started with healthy diets. 
So they come to it with a lot of sort of intuitive, uh, good, solid background around sort of building their businesses in a way that's going to enhance their community and not detract from it. No surprises there. Um, no. So it is the new year. You know, we are in midway through, almost midway, I guess, through January of 2013. What a, what, what's big on the agenda for, for you guys this year or, or looking down the road at the next few years? What do you think the future is going to bring for the Women's Ag Network? So, well, there's always, you know, there's always so many great ideas being generated around here. And every time we work with women, you know, we come away with even more ideas. So, but a couple of highlights. Um, this spring, we're going to partner with a local youth group on sort of a, uh, a it's not a mother-daughter camp, but it's a, it's a young woman mentor farm camp. So we're going to pair uh, young women, youth, and um, farm mentors to, to learn a little bit about agriculture, and that'll be a fun weekend camp. And then we've got um, some more online education that we're going to be rolling out. And then uh, next November, we actually have a Women in Sustainable Ag Conference, and that's going to be with our partners out in Iowa. So we're very much looking forward to that because uh, we've had several of these national conferences, but they've all been here in the Northeast. So this is the first time we'll actually be venturing out to the heartland. Nice. That sounds great. Well, Mary, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, speak with us today. That website, again, is www.uvm.edu backslash W-A-G-N if you want to sign up for their great newsletter and learn a little bit more about the organization or if you're a budding woman farmer and want to take part in some of their upcoming workshops or classes, definitely check that out. Stay tuned. Um, just up uh, after the show, we'll have the Grow NYC market update where we'll hear a little bit more about one of my favorite women farmers, Angela Miller of Consider Bardwell Farms on the update. And then tune in next Thursday at one o'clock. We're going to be taking a trip down south. We're going to be learning a little bit more about the state of agriculture in the state of South Carolina. So tune in next uh, Thursday at one o'clock. Um, as always, you can find the programs via iTunes or Stitcher Smart Radio. We are a member-supported organization, so if you like what you hear, we definitely are counting on your support. You can donate or become a member by visiting www.heritageradionetwork.org. Tune in next week for another episode of The Farm Report. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. hot at the green market you're about to find out now it's the grow nyc market update 
All right. You have tuned in to the Grow NYC Market Update, and we are transitioning into the winter season here in a nice, sunny, uh, but chilly January day. We are on the line with Jean Hodesh uh, of Grow NYC. Jean, how are you? How'd you make it through the uh, break? Hi. Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy um, New Year. <laughs> happy New Year. I am doing just fine. I made it through the break really well. I was just cooking and eating, I think, the entire time. So it was really relaxing and enjoyable. Awesome. So I think we're going to be using the next couple of uh, weeks during these colder months to do a little bit more in-depth exploration uh, of some of the producers at the green market. And so I'm excited to hear what you have us uh, up for this week. Sure. Well, I've been thinking about, you know, the growing season tends to become sort of dormant this time of year, but it doesn't mean that there's not really fabulous um, product availability at our markets that are open around this city. There are 22 that are open through the winter, um, and I would encourage people to go out and talk to their farmers and, and see what they've got that's new and interesting this time of year. So um, on Sunday, I was over at the Carroll Gardens Market. We had a press conference to announce the millionth pound of uh, food scraps that we've collected for our compost project. And so that's a great milestone in and of itself, something else you can do at market. But when I was done with that, I turned around and went over to consider Bardwell's farm to pick up some cheese. And the, the cheesemonger told me that I should really try their Danby cheese, which I'd never had before. Um, and he said it's especially good right now. And so I just called up to the farm to see why exactly it's so good in the winter. And um, the farmer, Chris, explained to me that they've been making this cheese for a while in the sort of Sardinian and Sicilian style. It's similar to Parmesan, so sort of a hard-aged cheese. Um, and they used to think of it sort of as one of their sharp cheeses, but they have been sort of tweaking the recipe over the last few years. And now it's reached this nice balance between a hard-aged cheese and one that is um, also very sweet and creamy, which kind of... Um, is very characteristic of the goat's milk that's used to make it. So I ate it, and I thought immediately that it was almost like feta. It's very light and and crumbly and really delicious. Um, So he told me that they made this cheese back in May, and they've been waiting on it in the cob almost like bricks of gold, (laughs) and they just released it now. So that's a new product to look for in the market. Um, And what's interesting about the way they've kind of timed their release of cheeses over the year is that they have a Manchester cheese that they've been selling for months, and that will begin to taper off. They'll sell out of it through the winter, and to replace it, they've just released the Danby. And so think of, you know, different um, sort of vegetables and fruits that come in and out of season. It's, It's the same thing for cheese and also for meat. Um, because in addition to their raw milk aged goat cheeses, Consider Bardwell also sells goat and veal. And um, that's something, another product that really gets them through the winter. So all of their meats are animal welfare approved, and they have whole goat legs, shoulders, bone in. They're really good for braising, which is a great thing to do this time of year. They have chorizo and andouille sausage, which is um, loose ground. It's not linked. Um, and he was also telling me that they sold a lot of goats to the city during Heritage's um, October promotion this fall. So he said that was great. They sold a lot of meat. They they don't have that much left, actually, for this winter. Um, but this is – so that's sort of the story with their goat. They definitely have some at market, but they also have veal at market. And he said this is the third season that they've been raising and selling veal. It's really delicious, um, and they're kind of building that business up. So um, – they, they partner with a couple farms uh, that are just kind of bordering their own farm in Vermont. And the, the calves graze on their grass, and um, they just 
took two more to uh, their facility the other day, and they were making uh, whole sirloin roasts out of them. So um, they've got that, and then they also have offal and all kinds of different rare cuts. So I think the trick in the winter is sometimes the lines are shorter at, at vendors' stalls, and it's a great time to talk to the farmers and ask them what they're bringing in that's fresh right now. Um, so anyway, and then in terms of sort of the season on the farm, goats kid in March and April, and, and the goat meat is sort of processed in October. Um, so that's why you see it kind of coming into the market more this time of year. Um, and, and then they'll all start kidding again uh, in the spring, and the new cycle begins. And then um, when the new kids come along, there's more milk available, and then that's what gets used in their summer goat cheeses. That's great. And I think one of the things that was, uh, you know, I've, I've been a longtime fan of Consider Bardwell Farm, and I think they do such a great job of telling this kind of story of the relationship between meat and dairy and the seasonality of meat products, dairy products. And it's great to hear you, you, you know, give Veal a shout out. I mean, I think Veal has, um, you know, an unfairly poor reputation, and it's, it's lovely to get a chance to um, actually speak with some of the producers themselves and learn a bit. Uh, more about why it's an okay choice and and it's a great choice for people, especially you know this time of year. Now, can you tell us a little bit? The farm is located up in Vermont. Yeah, um, it's located up in Vermont. He said that the border with New York actually runs right through their property. Um, but they have got about three hundred acres, and uh, it was founded in the eighteen hundreds. And in the eighteen sixties, a man named Consider Bardwell, which me is like such a fantastic old-fashioned name. Um, he started a cheese operation there, and then it wasn't in working order for a long time um, when they took it over in the early 2000s. So they took it over, and um, it took them a couple years to get their licenses together, and now they're producing, they've been producing cheese for about nine years. Um, and it's really, really wonderful cheese. It's, it's sold by various cheesemongers around the city, and we're lucky to have it at the market as well. Awesome. Uh, and kind of drawing maybe personally from your kitchen experience, any kind of favorite goat or veal recipes we should be looking out for? I'm just, I'm stuck on braising. It's so good. It's so easy. You just put it in the oven with some, you know, liquid that makes sense and maybe some winter root vegetables and, and let it go, um, you know, low and slow, as they say. And uh, it never disappoints. It's so delicious and great and leftovers you can have it for lunch all week um so that's what i've been doing and then uh i asked him he said that he sold all of these goats during goattober so he was selling to lupa and colicchio and sons and aldi law so it's exciting to watch goat take off and be uh, embraced by chefs around the city as well yeah definitely looking for more of that in the year to come now um event wise anything anything happening to keep us warm throughout the winter something we should be on the lookout for yeah, so more more on meat. We're having um, Jimmy's Number 43 is hosting their fifth annual Castle Cook-Off this Sunday, the 13th, from 1 to 3 p.m., and all of the proceeds will benefit um, Grow NYC's uh, Learn It, Grow It, Eat It program, um, which works with kids to teach them about sustainable agriculture. And uh, so you can learn more about the program at the event, but you can also taste really wonderful different variations on this classic French cassoulet dish. So that should be great. Tickets are 30 bucks at the door at Jimmy's. It starts at 1 p.m. on Sunday. And then coming up at Union Square, we've got some featured farms that we'll be doing cooking demonstrations with. Um, on Friday, we're featuring Lucky Dog Farm and cooking with their wheat berries, which is an exciting new product they've got this year. 
And then on Saturday the 12th, we're featuring Windfall Farms. We're going to do a sprouts tasting. So just when you thought there weren't greens available in the winter, you can come and taste all kinds of radish sprouts and sunflower sprouts and all kinds of different fresh young greens to keep you going through January. Awesome. Well, Jane, we look forward to checking in uh, over the coming weeks and getting a little bit more time to do a little in-depth exploration of some producers and some products. In the meantime, if you want to find out what's up over at GrowingYC, you can visit them at www.growingyc.org or follow them on Twitter, like them on Facebook, whatever you do, get out to the markets this weekend and tune in next Thursday for another episode of the GrowingYC Market Update. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.